Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Exchange Traded Fridays with ETF.com. I'm Heather Bell, and I'm joined by my fellow editor, Samit Roy. Hey, Samit. Hey, Heather. Hey, everyone. Um, the big news, I think, this week, really, um, if you set aside everything going on in Russia, Ukraine, with Russia and Ukraine, um, is really the Fed hiking rates. Um, Samit, you've really been covering that and following that topic. Can you give us a little color on it? Yeah, sure, Heather. It's been a super wild week for markets. Things kind of hit a low point on Monday, uh, and we just continued to go down like we have been over the past several weeks. People were worried about the Russia-Ukraine war, and then obviously that Fed decision on Wednesday was on everyone's mind. If you look at the high growth areas in the market, like ARKK, they just kept getting pummeled. On Monday, that ETF was down something like 67% from its highs of a year ago. Even the broader uh, growth ETF, something like a tech sector ETF like VGT, that was down 20% off its highs at Monday's low. But what was interesting was the S&P 500 didn't hit a new low on Monday with everything else. It retested that 4170 low from last week and it actually held. Uh, that was down about 13% from the all-time highs. A lot of people consider 20% off the all-time highs the start of a bear market. So 13% is still quite a bit away from that. Uh, and that's pretty impressive given how bearish the news flow has been that the S&P 500 was only down 13%. We've had endless geopolitical worries, commodity prices going through the roof, and expectations of a hawkish Fed if the S&P 500 didn't really crack, uh, only down 13%, like I said, then we got the Fed decision, and that was pretty dang hawkish. I mean, they hiked 25 basis points and forecast another six rate hikes throughout the year, one at every meeting, essentially, uh, and then another three hikes next year. If they follow through with that, that would put the Fed funds rate at 2.75% next year more than a percent higher than they were projecting in December just a couple months ago. So initially we saw the market sell off on the news, but then as people digested the decision and, and the projections, people kind of realized, hey, this is basically what was already priced into markets. So that's when the market surged back and it was led by all of those beaten down areas, the ARKKs, the VGTs, the triple Qs, everything like that. So you could call it a relief rally because a lot of people were relieved that the Fed wasn't even more hawkish, that they didn't hike by 50 basis points or something like that. And they were relieved that the Fed, uh, like Fed Chairman Powell, he was so confident that the economy was going to remain strong and avoid a recession in the next year. That said, um, we aren't completely out of the woods. The Fed is going to be aggressively fighting inflation for at least the next year growth risks from high commodity prices and, and geopolitical factors, those are still a concern. 
And the Treasury yield curve, it's uncomfortably close to inverting with only 25 basis points or so separating the two-year and the 10-year. So things look good now, but the risks to growth and the markets are still uncomfortably high. We'll see. The market does climb a wall of worry. We'll see if it can keep climbing this wall of worry or if it's too steep and it's going to slip back down. <laughs> so, um, Heather, do you have any thoughts on the Fed action? And, and then I know you want to talk about some interesting launches and closures you saw this week as well. Yeah, well, um, I just was wondering if with our ARKK, were investors just thinking that uh, fund has kind of been beaten down enough and that was kind of part of the resurgence because i think didn't it like bounce back up like 10 percent that day yeah it's 10 percent that day and then it's pretty much gone up four days in a row the low is 52 on monday it's got as high as 66 today so you're talking almost a 25 30 percent rebound in four days and i think it is it just got so beaten down right it lost two-thirds of its yeah. value over the past year and a lot of the multiples have really come in on these high growth stocks. There was a lot of uh, consternation that they were these stocks in the ETF were just so overvalued back in the second half of 2020 and 2021. You had software stocks trading at 30, 40, 50 times sales. You had free revenue companies in many cases trading on multi-billion dollar valuations. Those valuations are now more reasonable. Uh, the high growth software index is only trading at something like uh, seven and a half times sales for the median company versus something like 15, 16 times sales last year. So these are much uh, more historical levels, much more normal levels. So I think people are more comfortable with the valuations now, um, even though there still are risks related to you know macro factors. Um, so I think that's the reason we've seen such a big bounce in this stock, uh, in this ETF. But I don't necessarily think we're going to see ARKK zooming back to the all-time highs anytime soon, but just seeing a bottoming process begin, I think, is going to be encouraging for a lot of investors if that's what ends up happening. So kind of like a return to sanity after the kind of abnormal markets of the pandemic era? Absolutely. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, but I guess now we're, we're more normal now. Gotcha. Yeah, we've um, launches have been interesting. They last year was a record year, so we had four hundred and seventy-seven launches in all of twenty twenty-one, and this year we were kind of like shot out of a cannon. Um, right now, just not even through the first quarter, we've had ninety-seven um, new ETFs launch versus 74 by the same time last year. So that's a difference of like 23 funds. Um, but the thing about that is that was interesting is that's with um, the week after, immediately after Russia invaded Ukraine, we actually only had one launch. It was a residential REIT ETF that uh, trading under the ticker HAUS. And that was the like basically the only quiet week for launches there was just the one fund and i think that was with everyone just kind of like getting a grip on what was going on with the markets nobody wanted to launch funds into you know so much uncertainty um but we've been kind of like boosted this year with launches um we've got 
six funds when Capital Group made its uh, debut on the market um, with their first ETFs. And then there was a firm called Bond Blocks, which has a bunch of ETF industry veterans running it. And they're focused exclusively on fixed income. So they launched seven ETFs. So there was some kind of like group launches that really helped pump up the number. Um, and of course, this is when my dog tries decides to speak. Um, the uh, So it's been kind of interesting. Closures are trailing last year, though. We had 79 in all of 2021, and that was the slowest year for closures since like 2013, I think. Um, and then the, uh, excuse me, the closures we've seen so far were, we're at 16 closures this year so far. And last year, by the same time, we had had 18. So we're actually trailing last year for closures, and that's kind of interesting. So we'll it is, see what happens there. <laughs> it is nice to um, see um, the, the launches pick up. Uh, the one that caught my eye, actually, I think Dan wrote about it, was um, the ProShares Metaverse ETF. Um, if you go back a year ago, who would have guessed that we'd have four Metaverse ETFs on the market now, right? I think a year ago, no one even knew what the Metaverse was. But like we've definitely seen the hype cycle on the Metaverse kind of peak for now. If you look at stocks like Meta, Roblox, Unity, they've, they've really taken it on the chin, um, you know, along with all those high growth areas in the market. Um, and as those have fallen out of favor, um, but it'll be fascinating to see, um, you know, how this metaverse trend plays out and whether which one of these ETFs captures, you know, the, the upside from this trend, because they're all, you know, so different. Um, but I do think, you know, this metaverse trend, even though it's kind of out of favor right now, it's not going away. We have so much investment coming into this area from Meta, from Microsoft, from all of these tech giants. They're really, really committed to making this happen and bring this more immersive type of Internet into reality. So I don't think this trend is going away. But, you know, what, what do you think? Heather? Do you think it's a fad or it's going to stick around? Well, you know that. You know very well that I am not really the most with it when it comes to the metaverse. Uh, I refer to it as Narnia. Um, but it is kind of like they're it, like they're almost constructing an entirely parallel reality to uh, real life. And I just find that fascinating. I wonder where it will go. And yeah, I fully believe that there could be a lot of ETFs launched based on this topic, like tangentially related to it. Um, you know, any new industries that come out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge growth area. Yeah. So let, let's turn to flows for a minute, Heather. I know you edited a piece Dan wrote earlier um, about Vanguard seeing the bulk of uh, inflows into ETF this year. I think he said Vanguard's on track to potentially surpass iShares as the biggest issuer in the coming years. Do you think that's going to happen? And is there any significance if Vanguard does surpass BlackRock? Um, I really do think it's going to happen. And it's probably going to happen, in my opinion, in, during this year. Um, just for perspective, Wednesday, when the Fed rate, rate hike happened, um, Vanguard ETFs were 7 of the top 10 ETFs for flows that day. VTI alone added more than $4 billion. 
And it, um, the whole company, like Vanguard's ETFs, all of them pulled in a total of 12 billion. That was like way more, like more than double, more than triple any other firm, I believe, that um, took in flows that day. Um, so right now it's about 300 billion, maybe uh, more than that, but 300 billion short of BlackRock's current level of assets. And given that they've pulled in about almost 80 billion in inflows this year to like, I think, uh, something like 18.8 billion for um, BlackRock, it that's, they seem to really be just outpacing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy. And, and then for those wondering, I'll mention that um, according to our fund flows tool, net inflows uh, for all U.S. listed ETFs this year is about 133 billion, which I wasn't really paying much attention to flows this year, but that's an absolutely amazing number considering all the, the market turmoil we've seen. If you just do a simple extrapolation, there's no guarantee this is going to continue at this pace. We're on track for something like $600 billion of inflows for 2022 as a whole, which it would be less than that record-breaking $900 billion we saw last year, but it's above the $500 billion we saw in 2020, which was the record at the time. So, I mean, obviously, ETF investors, they just haven't been phased by inflation, by interest rates, or geopolitics. I mean, they're continuing to plow money into ETFs. Though they are being a little bit choosy about what asset classes they're putting their money into. I think $57 billion has gone into U.S. equity ETFs and $41 billion into international uh, equity ETFs. Fixed income, though, has been kind of a laggard. Only a few billion going into there, which is not surprising. You know, it's been a pretty bad year for fixed income. Though I do wonder if rates keep going up at some point, will people start to look for bargains in, in fixed income? Heather, are you as impressed as I am with the resiliency of these inflows? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've had so much uncertainty this year. There's so much, so many like unusual things happening between coming out of the pandemic and, you know, what's going on with Russia, Ukraine. There's like there's all kinds of reasons for people not to be putting money into ETFs, and yet they are. And I think that just speaks to people's kind of like faith in the structure, really. And, you know, the resiliency of the market overall. Definitely, definitely. So awesome. Why don't why don't we wrap it up there? Next week, we'll have Dan back and I'm sure we're gonna have a ton to talk about. Thanks, everyone for joining us on this week's edition of Exchange Traded Fridays. Have an awesome weekend and see you next time. See you guys later. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.